Well, uh, good morning again. Um, as Joel said, my name's Lou and I'm part of the leadership team here at Portswood. And it's my real joy this morning to be bringing the message. <clears throat> we have been journeying through the book of Hebrews. If you're joining us for the first time, maybe today, um, yeah, Hebrews is is not the easiest book, but there are some things in it that we don't see anywhere else in the Bible. So it's a really important one for us to get our heads round. Um, so far in the book of Hebrews, the writer has, well, he's just been, uh, you know, the most enthusiastic person you can imagine talking about Jesus, Jesus is amazing. He's better than this, better than this, better than this, better than this. And basically for us to know that Jesus is better than anything else that we could trust in in this life, anyone else we could follow in this life, any hope we could have, he is the best. And the whole way through, he has been saying this message that has been our theme for this series, um, don't give up. Don't turn back. Don't allow yourself to drift, uh, but rather fix your eyes on, on a point ahead. And that point being Jesus, fix your eyes on him. Um, and you get this great sense throughout the book of encouragement. Keep going, persevere um, and continue to do that because Jesus is better than anything else. If you are one of the people that have read the book as a whole during this series, then <clears throat> I just want to say brilliant. Because remember, this book is supposed to be read as an entirety. It um, it wasn't meant to be read in bits, although we do. But as you read it, you just get the feeling of this pastor's heart coming through and you'll get the sense of a journey it fits with that right the writer's theme of don't give up on this journey this faith journey that we are all on together i remember my faith journey i can say i became aware of um god when i was about eight and i started going to an afternoon sunday school uh, some of you will be able to relate to that others it will seem what that's very strange but um, it shows my age that there was an afternoon Sunday school and we would go and uh, sing songs about Jesus, learn about him, break into small groups. And I still remember the lady that uh, taught me during that time was called Sheila. And I'm so grateful for her today for the way she gave her time for me. So. Um, on that note, I'm just so grateful again this morning for those that give up their time to spend time with our children and youth. Um, they they are investing something now that hopefully will last to eternity. So that's just a little bit of me. But I wonder when your you would say your faith journey began. Perhaps at the moment you're not sure it even has. Or you can't remember a time when it wasn't. I hear people say that, you know, I, I've just always, always known about God. I've always been a part of my life. And we remember call it this journey because we haven't arrived at our destination. Sometimes we can get confused, I think, by thinking a conscious decision to follow Jesus equals 
that's it. We finished. Like, take it off. We just sit now on a train uh, and Jesus will take us. And in some sense, yes, Jesus guarantees our um, inheritance. He is the one who will keep us on that train. But we're still on it. We haven't arrived. You might be fortunate enough to have a faith journey that's steady and constant. Others of us, it's turbulent. You know, I don't know how you feel right now. You might feel like you're in a really dark tunnel or that you're in different journeys. Another analogy, your, your plane is spinning and you feel totally out of control or you sense you've been drifting. Maybe it's like you're in a boat and you're drifting down a river. Today's passage, the author is going to walk with us. If you imagine through a hall of fame, imagine those old country houses where you've got pictures down the sides. And at each portrait, our writer's going to stop and tell us about moments of their lives. Not the whole lot, just a highlight to say, look, guys, look what faith did in their lives, how they kept going in their lives. Um, and, you know, what can I say? In life sometimes there are real big obstacles. We get stuck. We hit a wall. It's not that the train driver, it's become bumpy or we're in turbulence, but actually everything seems like it's out of control. And you might be in that place this morning you might be thinking, I want to give up. I've had enough of this. But perseverance has been the thread throughout this letter. And as we begin on chapter 11, and I'm going to suggest that you get your Bible out today because we didn't read it at the beginning. And I want you to get that out and find Hebrews because I want us to look at this together today to be examining this together. Because he bookmarks this section with perseverance. Let's look at verse 36 of chapter 10. It says, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And then, look a little bit lower down at 39. We do not belong to those who shrink back and destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. What's helpful to remember here when reading this letter is that despite the author's direct no-nonsense approach and obvious concerns for this faith community, he has complete faith that they will carry on. And we know that that is because Jesus has got us. So even though we hear him at times say, like in chapter six, I'm concerned that you're not moving on, that you're not learning new things. He follows it with, but that's not your case. I'm convinced that that's not you. And here again, he talks about God's displeasure with those that are not trusting him. But again, he says, but you're not those who shrink back. 
you're not the ones that give up. So today, I really want to start today by putting your name into this statement. You might feel like today I'm not sure my name should go in there, but I want you to take the assurance of Christ and what he did on the cross for you to put your name in this statement. Your name, my name now, Louise, is not someone who shrinks back, but rather by faith, rather by faith. I'm going to give you a moment to do that. So by faith, let's speed up a bit. Faith is a word that gets chucked around and sometimes we can think that it's about no evidence, that it's just something like people talk about a leap of faith. You jump off a cliff and and you just say, whatever happens, God's got me. But here we see throughout this, we've got a definition. As Hannah read earlier in verse one, we have a definition. The word faith, I'm not very good at Greek, so I'm going to declare that at the beginning. Pistis comes from the root word pitho, which means to be persuaded. It carries this idea that you've been persuaded by God. You've come to trust because something has happened in your life. Some evidence has come to, to light for you. A verse in the Bible that lots of people hold on to is uh, that one in Romans 8.38. I'm convinced. And, and, and it's there. It could be persuaded because it's the same root word. I've been persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or principalities, things present nor things to come, nor powers da, 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 will ever be able to um, to keep me from the love of God. Let's paraphrase it like that. It's the same word. Faith is being persuaded. And it goes on to say in the NIV, faith is confident. Uh, this trust Hannah was talking about, it's about trusting Jesus. Um, other translators for that word have um, assurance or substance. We see the writers are wrestling with what should we do with this word? Obviously, whenever we translate a word from one language to another, there's, there's a bit of wrestling. What's the best word here? The word apostasis is. It comes from two words, under and to stand. And that's why sometimes we translate it as steadfast. To stand, you might say, under God's promise. Faith is standing your ground when you can't see what's going to happen. It's the idea of a concrete action, though, and that's important. It's something that has substance. It has something to it. Your faith is not just something wishy-washy, but we can see your faith. Um, we go on. It says, it says, uh, oh, let's go back to it. The confidence we hope for and the assurance. Let's look at that word. Elenkos. It means proof. It's a test. It's something we can, we can actually see. It's a proof test that your faith is real. It's the substance. It's the standing. It's the proof test. The litmus test, you might say. And he says, this is what the ancients, meaning those in the Hebrew Bible, were commended for. And the writer then in number chapter 11 takes us through this whole history from creation to the present day of character after character jumping the highlights of their faith as we walk down, do you remember, this hall of fame. And for each of these, is it a feeling that he's talking about? No, of course not. It's actions. It's 
Faith is both reasoned thought, being persuaded, but it's also an action. It's like two sides of a coin uh, and both sides are needed. We see this in the examples. Uh, we see how uh, Noah, when warned, his action was to build a boat. He was persuaded by God that what was going to happen and he acted on it. Abraham, when called to go, was persuaded by God to go. And in faith, he did. We see how Sarah, way past childbearing years, uh, fully in the age of drawing her pension, um, fully aware of the complete improbability of having a child. Um, Laughable, in fact, and she's pulled up on laughing. But here it says she considered him faithful who'd been made, he'd made the promise. So she considered it. She thought about it. She reasoned. This is what they were commended for. Um, this considering. It's not that she just leapt, but rather it was built on God's revelation. God had said it. These men had come. She'd seen how God had led Abraham and herself and been faithful in battles. God had intervened when Abraham made, well, let's say some mistakes. She knew God to be faithful. And so she considered it. It was reasonable for her to trust him and his word. Verse 17, look at it. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac. And it says, verse 19, Abraham reasoned. He reasoned. He thought it through. And what was his thinking? If God has done all this for me and he has said that through Isaac, it will happen. And I know that he made the heavens and the earth. And it's him who makes life and death that he Even if I go through with this, he has the power to raise this child from the dead. That's reasoning. John Ortberg, in his book, Faith and Doubt, he says this. I say I believe what I think I believe and what I really do believe I reveal by my actions. The best indicator or true belief or true purposes are my actions. And James, Jesus's brother in the Bible, says similar things. He says, show me your faith without deeds, actions, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. My actions will prove what I actually believe, what I've actually reasoned and considered will show in what I do with my life. And I know we're fed up with this, but take COVID. It's an experience we all know. We might think, um, I'm fine with COVID, no problem. I've had my jabs, yeah. And then we find that when it comes to going somewhere or being with someone, we're nervous. We pull back. We we shrink back. We use the words from this. We're like, I'm not so sure now. Actually, what we do shows what we really believe in our heads, not what we said we believed. Faith is about putting that reasoned evidence into action and to face the reality. You know, we might think we have faith, but when it comes, oh, no, I'm not sure I actually do. And don't. It's not a time for us to despair, go in on ourselves. I am a terrible person. God has got us. It is God who gives faith. It is God who provides the proof. It is God who instills that in us. And I'm always really encouraged, you know, when Jesus says faith is small as a mustard seed. I think I only I'm sometimes wonder I've even got a mustard seed. But he says it can move a mountain. He is able to do immeasurably more than we ever asked for 
or even imagine. Faith is that gift, isn't it, that he gives us as he reveals himself to us, whether that be through nature or experience or others. Seeing others on that go, hearing people's stories, having a go builds faith. And God says delights in those who trust him more and more. And so feel free today, ask him for faith. It's so scary and I'm just going to hold you there. Asking for faith, well, you're going to need some faith to trust him in. Perhaps, though, it's worth it because he wants to show himself to you more and more. I reminded of when Thomas in the Bible, after Jesus has died and raised from the dead and the others are saying, I've seen him, Thomas. And Thomas says, unless I see with my eyes and I touch his wounds. Next thing, Jesus in the room. Hello, Thomas. (laughs) It makes me laugh so much. But we can ask God. I need it. You know, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. It's a prayer we can all pray. Our faith, not blind. Jesus says, seek and you will be confused. Seek and you will find. And we have that evidence, don't we, for our faith in the New Testament and other documents that Jesus lived. He was a person. We have evidence of those that saw him after the resurrection. And we have hundreds and thousands of people around the world today, millions in facts that will testify that they have experienced God and specifically encountered Jesus Christ. There's our evidence. And we can make a reasoned decision. So let's return to our definition. Sorry, we've we've gone everywhere. But what does he go on to say? Assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, what we hope for and what we do not see, what we hope for and what we do not say. And what are Christians hoping for? Well, what are you hoping for? You know, if someone asked you today, what would you hope would change? What are you going to say? Might be global, might be something in yourself, might be a relationship. For me, as a woman, it breaks my heart that women around the world, um, don't experience the same freedoms perhaps I do. Something I long to see changed. I have a heart for women set free to live as daughters of the King of Kings, to walk with dignity and be treated with respect. What about you? What, what's God put a heart, heart, changed your heart for? What's he burdened you for? What's the one thing you'd like to see changed? In this passage, we see example after example of God intervening in people's lives and individually, fertility we've seen in real estate, in battles, in liberation from bondage, administrating justice, miraculous protection. God does and has been within history, giving those people a chance to testify to what God has done. But the interesting thing in this passage is that without catching a breath, just look 
at verse 35. Just find it with me now if you have it. Women received back their dead raised to life. There were others who were tortured. Without catching a breath, the writer goes on to speak of those who it seems God didn't intervene in their lives, died waiting for that promise, hope, that thing they were waiting for. They were tortured, they were flogged, they were put to death, they were imprisoned, they were sawn in two. And these people appear to have been failed by God. Their prayers weren't answered. There was God's promise. Where was it? Was it reasonable to trust in that situation where something went wrong and God didn't seem to come through for them? But look, the writer says they were all commended for their faith. So it's not a faith thing. None of them, it says, let's look together. None of them, none of them, not some of them, none of them received what had been promised. We look, sometimes we see apparently they received it, but apparently they didn't. But no, that's not what this passage says. None of them received what had been promised. Abraham made his home in the promised land. But look at verse 10. He was looking forward to a city, foundation whose architect and builder is God. Verse 13, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Verse 14, they were looking for a country of their own. Verse 16, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. He was looking ahead to his reward. And all those who received this, who didn't die waiting, were still dying waiting. Verse 40, since God had planned something better for us, now he walked that faith so that together he would be made perfect. Revelation chapter 21. Let's read that together. Let's just turn in our Bibles or look on the screen. This is the promise we're given by Jesus in his word. Says then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the order of things has passed. or The old order of things has passed away. What will there be no more of for you? What is that thing you are hoping for, holding on to the promises of God for? There will be no more of that. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy. We can trust them and they are true. You might be waiting for change in yourself or others or society or the environment. 
whatever it is, there is a day coming when it will be done. God will be with his creation. His creation is going to be renewed. We can only imagine what this might look like. I was trying to think the other day, what would it look like to live where I live if creation was renewed, including me and every person around me? No more death, no more selfishness, no more greed, no more lies, no more deceit, no more violence, no more bullying, no more disease. It's a future reality that we're told in the Bible we cannot even begin to imagine because we've lived like this for so long. What we think of good or great or reward or a promise fulfilled is nothing compared to what is coming. Nothing compared to what is coming. The writer wants us to fix our eyes on that. And he finishes. And I'm, I'm just going to go um, down to chapter 12. I'm sneaking into next week because we see the bookmarks. But uh, verse one, he says, and let us run with perseverance. Don't give up the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, fixing our eyes on Jesus, what he has done, what we cannot see yet, but we know because we've seen the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, we can trust that he is seated and one day will come and restore this world, our relationships, everything we know. You know, it's a bit like um, when you see a crocus coming up in your garden in winter, the snow is still there, perhaps, but you know that summer is coming. We got no doubt. It's like, well, if someone said to you in spring, summer won't come this year, you'd be like, what? Well, of course it can come. It's kind of come. And when we see glimpses of this heaven, when we see promises fulfilled, like the people here, we see a glimpse only of what is to come. A, a, just a crocus compared with the glory of our gardens. And you might, we saw some of the other week with flowers everywhere. We can't even begin to imagine how a garden, if you've not seen a garden in summer, could you imagine what it might look like compared with winter? I don't think you could. But a crocus is an example. It's evidence that something is coming. And we know that there's evidence in our lives that something is coming, when something goes really well. We know that sometimes when we notice that, oh, I used to do that, but I don't do it any anymore, that that's evidence. We are being transformed, being changed. <sighs> you know, this morning, I just wanna end with this. What are you still waiting for? You know, you might be tempted to settle. You might think, you know, like Abraham or Moses, you might have thought, this is pretty good, actually. I'm quite happy. Moses could have sat in his palace. Oh, it's pretty good. Maybe he could have thought, ah, oh, the blessings of God upon my life. But no, he didn't settle. He saw the suffering around him and he looked for something better. 
Maybe we should consider Moses if we're willing to settle right now. We think our life's pretty good. And we've stopped thinking about God's kingdom and what is coming and our place in that. Perhaps you're, uh, what have I got here, tempted to try something else. Like God doesn't seem to be working, so I'll try something else. Well, consider Abraham tried something else, didn't he? If you need to read that story, go back and read it. No, it wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's best for him. God's best for him and for us is what is coming. And along the way, we see some promises, some answers to prayer that are those little crocuses that say something better is coming. And yes, we rejoice in them. Hallelujah. We've been healed. We've been transformed. We've seen good happen. We've seen laws overturned. But it's still nothing of what is to come. Perhaps trusting God seems crazy. Well, what about marching around Jericho? That was pretty crazy. What about going into a fire like Daniel? That was pretty crazy. His friends. What about going in the pit like Daniel? That's pretty crazy. God has us. And, you know, like Daniel said, he, and his friends said, friend said, even if God does not choose now, to do this. I will still trust him because they were looking further. And sometimes we've got our eyes down here. We need to get them up. Um, this is bizarre, but I was watching a slug this morning and he was going along and I was watching him for a while. And then suddenly he rose up. His half his body was up in his little antennae. And I thought, that's it. He's straining to see what's to come. We've got that elsewhere, haven't we? If you know your Bible, you'll know there's straining. And maybe finally, it feels like faith doesn't really work. Well, why not consider those lives of people that it didn't seem to work for? But they didn't give up. They knew his peace in it. They knew his grace in it. And they refused to accept what was offered in this world compared with what was to come. Compared with what was to come. It says at the beginning of chapter 12, since we are surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses, let us run with perseverance. Think again of that, that thing we had at the beginning. So-and-so, I am not someone who shrinks back, but rather by faith. What's the faith you need now that you're going to keep holding on to? Maybe a loved one that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe a global issue like myself. What will you keep hoping for in the new kingdom when Jesus makes everything new? He renews us too. What are you, what's your battle today? Maybe this week you can commit to answering that question. Am I trusting him? Am I tempted to settle? Am I tempted to consider elsewhere? Am I tempted to think this is all crazy? Or I'm tempted to think this just doesn't work and walk away? Hold on. That's what the writer's saying. He is coming. Would you encourage each other this week? Share your stories of when you see the crocus and when you don't. Let us encourage one another that faith is being persuaded. Faith is action. And it's not always about seeing our promises realized now. But Jesus will hold us. He will keep us going, whether in good, whether in bad, like a marriage and sickness and health. We will hold on 
to Jesus. Let's pray together now. Lord Jesus, as we come before you now, we ask you to show us that you have us. We won't shrink back, Jesus, because you have us. We bring before you this morning those things we are hoping for. And we're holding on to your promise, Jesus, though sometimes it is so hard. Forgive us for the times when we settle. We think this is enough when those around us suffer. Where we know we're not perfect, but we sort of give up and think it'll do. Jesus, give us eyes of faith. To strain for what's ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen.